Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God, our Father, and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. In the Old Testament book of 1 Samuel, when Hannah's prayer for a son had been answered, she sang what the church calls the Exultavit Cormeum. You can find it at the back of our hymnal, or My Heart Exalts in the Lord. In this, she speaks of God's mighty saving acts, which demonstrate his justice and his concern for the humble, while having opposition to the arrogant and the proud. Its ten short verses are appropriate to quote at length. My heart exalts in the Lord. My horn is exalted in the Lord. My mouth derides my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. There is none holy like the Lord, for there is none besides you. There is no rock like our God. Talk no more so very proudly. Let not arrogance come from your mouth. For the Lord is a God of knowledge, and by him actions are weighed. The bows of the mighty are broken, but the feeble bind on strength. Those who are full have hired themselves out for bread, while those who are hungry have ceased to hunger. The barren has borne seven, but she who has had many children is forlorn. The Lord kills and brings to life. He brings down to Sheol and raises up. The Lord makes the poor and makes rich. He brings low and he exalts. He raises up the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap and makes them sit with princes and inherits a seat of honor. The mother of our Lord, the Blessed Virgin Mary, sings of similar themes in her song, the Magnificat, saying in response to Elizabeth's greeting message of her son leaping in her womb when she heard Mary's greeting. You may have heard those similar themes. It goes, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is on those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones, and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent empty away. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. These similar themes in both Hannah's and Mary's songs are present also in our gospel lesson this morning, where our Lord tells a short parable to some who trusted in themselves and that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. In it, he reiterates the theme of his preaching, which has been constant throughout his ministry. Everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. The parable which demonstrates this begins as follows. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The temple, we must remember, is not quite the same as our church buildings where we come together for worship, Though there are some similarities, the temple was, at that time, in that covenant, the promised place of God's, present, where, of God's presence to his people Israel. 
It was a place of holiness and separateness which symbolized God's holiness amongst his people. In the temple building proper, only priests were allowed while performing their daily duties, and in the inner room of the temple, the Holy of Holies, only the high priest was allowed, and at that only once a year, and not without the shedding of blood. Most things took place outside, in the courtyards. In the inner court was the altar where sacrifices were burnt, on one of which, sorry, was the daily sacrifices of morning and evening, around 9 a.m. and 3 p.m. respectively, which consisted of a lamb, grain, oil, and wine. During this sacrifice, the Levites would sing psalms from the steps to the inner courtyard, and then those who were not priests, who were not Levites, who were not allowed into those inner courts, would gather in the outer courts to hear the Levites and to offer their own prayers at those times of sacrifice. There were no benches, no pews. In fact, even in Christian church buildings, pews are a rather recent invention. During the time of the Reformation, you would have not seen a pew in any one of the church buildings. Everything, then, including prayer, was done while standing. Those who were gathered to pray at those times would have stood as a group. According to custom, they would have also prayed out loud. Some might merely have mouthed the words, as Hannah did when she prayed at the tabernacle, but most would have simply spoken their prayers quietly. This you can still see if you ever go to Jerusalem and go to the Wailing Wall, the one part of the temple that still remains, and observe the Jewish men there praying, all hearing the buzz and murmur of all those praying their prayers just out loud. This is the setting of our Lord's parable, focusing on two men of any number that were going to the temple to pray at the time of the daily sacrifice. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. This prayer exemplifies those who trust in themselves that they're righteous and treat others with contempt. It's a prayer of self-righteousness. The Pharisee's prayer begins with thanksgiving. That in itself, thanksgiving to God, is meet, right, and salutary, for we should at all times and in all places give thanks to God for all of his gifts. But this thanksgiving was not a true thanksgiving. It was not thanks for the gifts which God had given him, both spiritual and temporal, but it was a pretense for the Pharisee to talk about himself before God and before others. Standing by himself, he would have been close to the others, but not with them. He would have been by himself in front of the others assembled, close enough that they would have heard his prayer, so that they may hear of his great righteousness. I thank you that I am not like other men. Rather than thanking God for his gifts, the Pharisee thinks of himself and speaks of himself. The other men he refers to are those who would have been gathered there praying with him, whom he regarded as nothing. To him they were extortioners, greedy men, greedy for gain, 
who wanted to get all that they could. They were unjust, that is, unrighteous, not keeping the law of God, unlike himself, he thinks. They were adulterers, those who were sexually immoral. They were even as bad as that tax collector. He singled this man out, not knowing anything about him, but sees that in his eyes and the eyes of those praying with him, this was the epitome of what a Jew should not be, both collecting taxes for the Romans, but also, more likely than not in their minds, skimming a bit off the top for himself as well. But the arrogant, self-exalted, self-righteous prayer does not end there. It continues by moving from its mock thanksgiving for being unlike others to trying to impress God with how holy and righteous he is. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. The law of God in the Old Testament required fasting only on one day, the Day of the Atonement. And tithing was limited to grain, wine, oil, and flocks. But this man, he had done above and beyond, and he wants God to make sure that he knows that. He wants those present to know that. He is saying, I have not only fulfilled the law that you gave, O God, but I have gone beyond it. I have a superabundance of works. Look how righteous I am. In this, he exalts himself before God, before the holy God, whom there are none besides. This Pharisee should talk no more so very proudly. Before God, he should be silent. See how he asks for nothing. He thinks he already has everything. He sees himself as having fulfilled the law. He believes he has kept it because he has kept it outwardly. And so he thinks he has truly kept all of the law. He trusts in his own keeping of it. He trusts in himself. He trusts in what he has done. This trust, this faith in himself, shows that he does not know the spirit of the law. It shows that he has utterly failed to fulfill it. It shows that he is not just, that he is not righteous. But he is proud of his works, not only of keeping the commandments outwardly, but also of his self-chosen works, those of twice-weekly fasting and tithing on all that he receives. And do not be mistaken, these can be good things when they are done in faith. Fasting can, through the aid of the Holy Spirit, mortify the flesh, and it's useful and beneficial for bodily discipline as Christians. Tithing, likewise, is a venerable practice which helps us with disciplined giving through setting a percentage. But while these are good things, they are not works which make one righteous. The Pharisee thought he was righteous because he did those things. That is, he thought that they justified him. In the same way, because that just being just and being righteous is the same thing. It is the same word in Greek and in Hebrew. But he was wrong. His works did not impress God beside his own sinfulness. They could not offset his sinfulness. If he paid attention, he would have known this from the scriptures. But he does not know. Or he does and he thinks that his works are so superior to God's. And so, like Saul, who thought that he could do better in his service of God than what God had already commanded, 
the Pharisee and all who think they can justify themselves and are righteous by their works receive the same rebuke that Hannah's son Samuel gave Saul when he took the oxen and the sheep and the booty from a raid where he was supposed to devote all to destruction, thinking that he could give these as sacrifices to God to impress him for all that he had done. Samuel said to him, Has the Lord a great, as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, to listen better than the fat of rams. But our Lord's parable does not only include this example of the Pharisee, one which we are to avoid. He also speaks of those who think they are better than others. Sorry. He not only speaks to those who think they are better than others and self-righteous, but he also points to those who know themselves and are truly righteous. But the tax collector, our Lord says, standing far off, would not even lift his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. The tax collector's prayer was short. It was simple. But in this prayer, the tax collector said so very much. Unlike the Pharisee, who stood so that he could be seen, the tax collector was standing far off. He knew that the temple was the place of God's holiness, the place where God promised to be. He knew that it was the place where God dwelled for his people. He came to the temple to pray, but he did not dare come close. He knew that he was a sinful man, and he would not even lift his eyes to heaven, the traditional way of prayer, because he knew that he was not holy, he was not righteous. He knew that he was sinful, that he had broken God's law, and that there was a great gulf between him and God. God is holy. The tax collector knew that he himself was not. Rather than looking up to God, he beat his breast continually in an act of contrition. He was sorry for his sins, and his posture and actions displayed outwardly what was happening in his heart. His prayer was simple. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. He singles himself out. He speaks humbly and truthfully of what he is, a sinner. Yet his prayer is not one of despair. It is a humble prayer, but it is a prayer of great faith. You may ask, how is faith depicted here? First, he has come to the temple to pray. He went to the temple when the sacrifices were being made in order to ask God for mercy. He trusted in the promises of God regarding his gracious and merciful presence in the temple. For Solomon prayed when the temple was dedicated, Listen to the plea of your servant and of your people Israel when they pray towards this place, and listen in heaven, your dwelling place, and when you hear their prayer, forgive. And God responded to Solomon that night in a dream, saying, My eyes will be open and my ears attentive to the prayer that is made in this place. Trusting in this promise, the tax collector came to the temple to pray and asked for mercy, not because he deserved it, far from it, and that is the opposite of mercy, 
but because God himself had promised it. And so he prayed, trusting in God's mercy. I tell you, says our Lord, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. It is a great irony that the Pharisee, who thought himself righteous by his deeds, who thought himself justified by his actions, was not, while the other one, the one who knew he was a sinner, confessed as such to God and pleaded for mercy from him, went home justified. He went home having been declared righteous by God. For that is what it means when it says the tax collector went home justified. It means that God declared this man righteous, that God forgave him all his sins, declaring him righteous. Brothers and sisters, it was, as it was in the days of Hannah, as it was in the days of the Virgin Mary, and as it was in the days of our Lord's ministry, so too it is today. The Pharisee considered himself righteous by his own works, but we can never justify ourselves or make ourselves righteous enough. The tax collector knew his sin. He was sorry for his sin, and he asked God to be merciful to him, even though he did not deserve it. He went to the temple in order to pray when the lambs were being sacrificed, trusting in the promise of God to hear and to forgive. The temple and all of its sacrifices that went on in it, both daily and at, fest and at feasts and at all gatherings, point to Christ Jesus. Jesus is the new temple. He is where God dwells with man, for he is God and man in one person. Jesus is also the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. He was the true sacrifice of sacrifices that all sacrifices point to. After fulfilling the law, he gave his life as a sacrifice for sins. He voluntarily laid it down, acting both as priest and as victim, so that we might be redeemed by his blood. For his sake, God is merciful to us, so that those who are humbled, who confess their sins and trust in God's mercy, are declared righteous by God. They are justified. And being justified, they have the righteousness of Christ as their own, united to him by faith. That is all of God and not of ourselves. Indeed, brothers and sisters, the law condemns all people, but Christ, without sin, has borne the punishment of sin. He has been made a victim for us and removed that right of the law to accuse and condemn those who believe in him. He himself is the atonement for them. For his sake, they are now counted righteous. This is received by faith, so that we are counted righteous, so we are justified. This faith receives all the forgiveness and gifts which he gives through word and sacrament, which may not be grasped by the proud, but only, by, only can be received by the humble through faith for it is faith that receives all of God's gifts. When the Lord comes again on the last day, those who proudly trusted in themselves will be humbled eternally, while those who received him in humility, counting themselves as nothing, but trusting in God because of his mercy shown in Christ, will be exalted forever and receive the heavenly kingdom 
and life everlasting. May God grant this to us all through the merits and mediation of Jesus Christ, his Son, our Lord. Amen. And now may the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guard and keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen. Amen.